Hey, this is Greg Sanders. Thanks for listening today. It's our hope that this message will help you connect to God, grow in His Word, and serve the kingdom in a greater capacity. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Today, the title of my message is pretty unique. Today, I want to talk to you about what many have, have deemed the most important paragraph in all of God's Word. The most important paragraph in all of God's Word. Just me saying that statement out loud puts a lot of gravity to that statement because Scripture, Paul told Timothy that all Scripture is inspired by God. All Scripture is useful for correction, for correction, encouragement, equipping of the saints. So all Scripture is important. It's, like, it's not like there is an important part and an unimportant part. But just like Jesus said, there, are, there is one commandment that encapsulate, encapsulates every other commandment, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. And then the second one, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said that is the most important ones because if you do those two, you're kind of going to get the rest of it. Well, this text we're going to look at today, if you get the meaning of these five or six verses, it sort of encapsulates everything. It captures everything that the gospel is trying to communicate to us. Not every fact, not every, uh, not every bit of information, but it does, it does give us a concise, a concise look at the message of the gospel. So let's read it together. I don't do this very often, but since I'm making much about this being an important paragraph, I want to ask you to read it out loud with me. It's going to be on the screen behind me. If you're ready to read it out loud, say, I'm ready. Okay, that was a great 70% participation, which is a C when I was in high school, which was all I really needed, all I cared about. But this is a work of God, so we're not going to settle for a C average today. I said, are you ready? Now that sounds more like an A+. plus. That's awesome. All right, here we go. On your mark, get set, go. But now a righteousness from God, apart from law, has been made, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in His blood. He did this to demonstrate His justice because in His forbearance He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at this present time so as to be just. Y'all sound great. Father, we love you. I pray today the word of God that we just read aloud would come alive in our hearts. You said that faith comes by hearing. Their hearts have just heard themselves. We've just heard ourselves pray or read the scripture. I pray it builds faith in our hearts to respond to it this morning. 
I pray that this morning you give me the help that only comes from you to speak what you want spoken. And Lord, help us open our ears, our hearts, and our understandings to hear this message this morning. I pray for the person that has heard the gospel hundreds of times that it would be fresh and new to them this morning like they're hearing it for the first time. And I pray for those that are hearing the gospel for the first time that it would do in them what it did in me. Give them new hope. Give them new strength. Give them new and eternal life as you promised. Everybody in the room said amen. amen. Paul spent the first two chapters of Romans reminding us of the seriousness of our sin. We've been talking about the first two chapters the last three or four weeks. It has not been that fun to preach it to you. I'm not sure if you've enjoyed it much at all, but I'll just tell you from my perspective, uh, it's been good, but it hasn't been fun. Uh, But today, Paul gets to the good part. He talks to us what I'm calling, what many have called, it's not my idea, many have called this one of the most important, if not the most important scripture in the Bible. He's shifting gears and he declares that we are living in a time that those of us who are far from God, which all of us were at some point, we were all far from God, can be made near to God. He says there is now uh, available to us the opportunity to have righteousness. Now, I want to talk to you real quick about righteousness because that's not a word that we use a lot in our everyday vocabulary. I'm not sure when the last, unless you're an 80s kid, you probably never told anyone that was righteous. That was kind of a term back when I was a kid. If you could do a certain flip on a bicycle, man, that, dude, that was righteous, but we don't use that phrase a whole lot today, and only two other 80 kids in the, 80s kids in the room got that uh, reference. But, but we don't really use the word righteous a lot today. So I want to give you a definition for it from a biblical perspective It's really complicated. You probably need to write it down. Are you ready? Cassie's ready. The rest of you are back to the C average grade point this morning. It's real simple. Righteousness equals being right with God. Scripture says, He came to give us a righteousness apart from the law. A righteousness that is not not based upon what we can do, but a righteousness that is based on what He has already done for us, He being Jesus. Because here's the thing, our righteousness, our right standing with God, the Word says, is like a filthy rag. I could go into details with you on what that filthy rag means, but I'm not going to do that in a public setting. But if you want to come see Him after service today, can I just tell you that that terminology as a, as a filthy rag is, is the most disgusting type of of, of, of thing you could have in your possession. And, and the word says that our righteousness, our right standing with God, what you and I are able, the relationship you and I are able to have with God on our own is, is as good as a filthy rag. It's actually something that we don't want to touch and no one else wants to touch it. That's how good our righteousness is. But Paul says now, right now, there is a new righteousness that all of us can embrace that makes us right with God. In other words, I can be filthy one moment and pure the next because of righteousness that comes from Jesus Christ. That's really good news. We can have right relationship with the Father. For the last 40 years in our nation, our nation has, 
I hate to say things too simply, but I really think our nation has one major issue. I'm not running for president, so don't worry about it. But, but here's, here's, here's our, I think everything in our nation can be fixed with one solution. For the last 40 years, there's been something missing in our nation. You know what it is? Fathers. Someone said, God, that's a, great, that's a great response too. But if we had godly fathers to pass on the God card, right, to pass on the God connection. But as a whole, now I'm looking at a room full of godly men. And so this is not a, this is not a, a slight towards you in any, remar- in any way at all. But it is, it is a, uh, most every godly man in this room would probably testify that most of the men you work with are not so godly, right? And we have, we have lost our, our ability to pass on our faith because fatherlessness has become a growing epidemic that has to be, that has to be fixed. So here's the great thing. No matter how present or absent your father was, and I'll just, I do want to encourage all the fathers in the room to take our job seriously. Do you know one of the greatest helps or hindrances in a kid's life in connecting with their heavenly father is tied to what type of earthly father they had? In other words, you, as, as a dad, I am either building a platform that my kids can stand on connect, to connect with the Lord, or I'm establishing a hurdle they have to get over to connect with God. So there's a, there's a, huge, there's a huge weight on my shoulder to, to be, peop, to be a, a father that, that pushes my kids towards them. But here's the thing, no matter what kind of relationship you had with your earthly father, the good news is you can have a perfect relationship with your heavenly father. Amen? And people everywhere are invited. Would you say this word with me? People everywhere. Everywhere are invited to have a right relationship with the Father. There's not a person that you've met that doesn't have the opportunity to have a right relationship with the Father. All people matter to God. And so if I'm, if I'm deeming this as one of the greatest paragraphs in the Bible, I want to share with you some truths that are just paramount to our lives we got to embrace this morning. And here's the first one. The first truth is this, and you're not going to like the first one, but i got to give it to you anyway. The first truth is this, is that sin separates us from God. You know what makes sin so bad? It's not our personal definition of whether it's really, really gross, evil sin, or just a little barely counts kind of sin. What makes sin so bad is that sin separates us from our Father. It separates us from the Lord. I I read a comment on social media the other day that was talking about people my age and older, and it was said, if you were born, you know, in the 70s or before, that you are blessed because none of our mistakes are on social media. But these guys right here, their stuff is out there. They can, and, and, and people who are smarter than me, they tell me that even though you delete that stuff, that someone smarter 
then your delete button can somehow go out there and drum that up and drag what you thought was deleted. They can drag it back up. That's the thing about social media is once it's out there, it's always out there. That's kind of how sin is, that, that, that once, once it's done, it's just there. Though we regret it, we don't really have a way to remove it from our own. We can't cover it. We can try not to do it again. We can regret it. We can try to do, put a better picture of ourselves in its place. We can, but we need someone to do what we can't do. We need more than just our sin covered. We need our sin purged. We need it wiped out. We need it forgiven. We need it as far as the east is from the west. And the word says there's no one that will be declared righteous by our own effects. But it's only through the work of Jesus. I'm not sure if you've seen the, the graphic I've used before. You're going to have to use your imagination with me this morning, but imagine with me a person standing on the edge of a cliff here, and God standing on the edge of a cliff here. In between the two edges is a gulf that cannot be, that cannot be crossed. You can't build a bridge long enough. You can't build a structure that will span from one side to the other. So all anything you try to build between you and God, it always falls short. That's kind of what our best efforts is. But Jesus came to cross the divide that you and I cannot cross. That's what, that's what the Word says, is that, that sin, it, it, it exposes. Here's the next thing it talks about. It exposes our need for salvation. And how many of you would be honest enough to say, I don't like to be aware of my shortcomings. Do you remember the very first sin in the Bible? Adam, Eve, sinned, and then what did they do? They ran, and they hid, and they got some fig leaves to try to cover up their mistakes. The Bible says they realized that they were naked, they realized they were exposed, and, and, and you know, humanly speaking, they, they thought it was the fact they didn't have clothes on. They were trying to cover on the outside. What had really happened was they had exposed their heart on the inside that they weren't right with God anymore. And since they couldn't cover the inside, they decided they'd try to cover the outside. But how many understand we can't cover what is broken in us? And none of us like to be, no one likes for, for our sin to be exposed. That's why many people avoid reading the Bible. That's why many people avoid church. And they avoid the people that go to church. Some of you in this room, you have friends who do not call you. They, they, they don't invite you to their birthday parties. They don't invite you to hang out with them. They want nothing to do with you because you are walking in the righteousness of God. And where the righteousness of God is, sin is exposed. And they don't want their sin exposed, and so they stay away from you. Did you know that happens? The proverb says, the wicked man flees, though no one pursues. In our own nature, that's what we do. That's what Adam did. That's what Eve did. And so the, the scripture, the, the, you know, there's, there's hundreds of, of law. The scripture says, apart from the law, no one can be declared righteous. There, that word law, it, it literally, 
encompasses hundreds of different laws that the people of God in the Old Testament had to follow. But we can, let's, let's narrow down to just the Big Ten. And how many would just admit that we're not very good at just keeping the Big Ten? And then when Jesus came, instead of, instead of making the law simpler, most people think Jesus came to do away with the law and make it simpler. He didn't. Pastor, I thought he did. No, no, no. In the Old Testament, having sex with someone who's not your, mar- your, your, what, your marriage partner was called adultery. When Jesus came, he said, if you even look at a woman who's not your marriage partner and lust upon her, then that's adultery. Let me ask you a question. Which is easier to keep? Yourself? out of someone else's bedroom or your mind out of someone else's bedroom? Some of you said, Pastor, you said this, you said you were done with the hard part. I'm about to be. I'm just just trying to prove, so many people think what Jesus came to make, he came to lower the standard. No, no, he said, if you even... The Old Testament says, if you murder someone, bad. Right? Jesus said, if you harbor hatred in your heart towards a brother, it's just as if you've murdered him. Does that sound like a lower standard or a higher standard? Pastor, this is hard. This seems impossible. Yeah, it reminds us that we need God's help. The law reminds us that we need the help of God. Because though I might can keep myself from from not killing my brother, I have a hard time keeping my bitterness in check sometimes. I need the help of the Lord. So the law of God is is a high bar. And you might be saying, well, Pastor, if, if, if... Jesus knew, if God knew that we, it was impossible for us to fulfill the law, to keep the law, wasn't, it, wasn't he basically setting us up for failure? No. He was setting us up for a Savior. And that's what I came to preach to you about this morning, is that your life has been on a crash course with your need for a personal Savior whose name is Jesus Christ that lets you know how far you've fallen so you can also participate and allow Him to lift you to heights you've never experienced before because He loves you so much He gave His life for you that wherever He is, you may be also. That's the grace of God. In a nutshell, the gospel is not God's backup plan for fallen humanity. The gospel is simply the heart of God that he has for us, even though he knew we would blew it. In advance, he had a plan for all of us. Someone's probably wondering, well, why would God even have a standard? Because every relationship comes with standards. Can I say that again? Every relationship comes with standards. Your working relationship 
comes with standards, right? How many of you going to go eat at a restaurant today? Okay. I'm available if you want to invite me. <laughs> no. When you go to a restaurant today, aren't you hoping that they have some standards? I mean, aren't you hoping that they, that they embrace the idea that employees wash their hands before they serve your food? Right? That's a standard. Right? If you, are, if, if you join a sports team, there's a standard. You got to be at the practice. You got to show up to the game. You got to have a certain GPA. You got to wear, you got to wear the uniform they give you, right? You can't, you can't play for the Razorbacks in a Texas outfit. Pastors say such such a thing as blasphemy. I understand. That's why you can't do it, right? If you get married, you're committing to a standard that, for better or worse, richer. In sickness and in health, forsaking all others to be faithful to him or her all the days of my life. That is a standard. Listen, a relationship without a standard is a fling, not a relationship. And God is not interested in a fling with his people. He is interested in being your father so you can be his son or you can be his daughter all of your life. So the law introduces us to the standard of God. But it also introduces us to our own need of His help to remove it. I'm spending a lot more time on this sin problem than I meant to, but would you please give me three more minutes? It doesn't matter, I'm going to take it anyway. Because here's a modern day 2023 concept that I want to also address. Because our world today says this. Just remove the law, and you won't have the sin. Have you heard that on your television in the last week, month, year? Now, it sounds like a good idea, especially to me, because I'm just thinking, if they would lift that speed limit between here and North Little Rock, on the three-lane where there's walls on both sides. I mean, I know most of you drive 80 miles an hour anyway, but if, what if we could do 120 legally? Wouldn't that be awesome? Or with those people that are texting and driving at 45, try to do it at 125, And maybe the repercussions of lawlessness might be more detrimental to us than law. See, you can't can't destroy the destruction of sin just because it's legal or not legal in a certain culture or society. A lot of people want to do away with the law. Why? Because the law points us of our need for a Savior. We need a Savior. We all need a Savior. I like what one, I'm going to move on, but I like what one scholar said. He said, the harlot, the harlot, the liar, the murderer, they're all short of it. What's it? God's glory. But so are you. Perhaps they stand at the bottom of a mine, and you stand on the crest of the app. 
But if you're but you are as little to touch the stars as they. Everyone falls short, but everyone can be justified by his grace. I'm just saying you can be right with God today. No matter you whether you think you're at the bottom of society or whether you feel like you're on top of the world, we all need a savior. We've all fallen short of God's glorious standard. But here's point two this morning. Jesus offers right standing with him. You don't have to be a sinner any longer. You don't have to be far from God another second. You don't have to be estranged from your heavenly father any moment. Romans chapter 3, 21 says, but now, that now is not a future tense word, it's a present tense word. But now, right now, in this moment, you don't have to wait another second. Right now, you can be right with the God. The righteousness of Christ can be yours in this moment today. You don't have to pass go. You don't have to collect $200. Today, you can be right with God. And it doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter what kind of mess people bring up on your social media. You can have right standing with God today. All of us. I love that word now. I like what John Piper says. He says, the gospel is not a help wanted sign. The gospel is a help, is, or it is a help available sign. God is longing to put His grace in your life. Examine the answer to this question with me. Where does right standing with God come from? It comes from God. See, the just judge who demands justice also provides the justification for us. Jesus is the single source of salvation. Remember that image I asked you to picture a few moments ago? Us on one cliff, Jesus on another cliff. I'm thankful to report today the cross of Jesus is the only structure that can bridge those two divides today. It's the grace of Jesus that's available to you right now can take all of us who are, who are, are destitute on our own and deliver us the riches of God's glory. Jesus offers right standing with him. When I was a kid, me and the friends in my neighborhood, I lived in a neighborhood and we just we just went. Like we didn't my parents said be home by dark. And besides that, it was just gone. And so we would build these tree houses out in the undeveloped woods in our neighborhood and we would start these clubs. We would build the treehouse, we'd come up with a name, we'd get our friends together, we'd sit down, and then we'd decide what our secret handshake is going to be, secret password before we'll extend the ladder down to you. When all those important decisions were made, then we decided the most important decision. You know what the most important decision is? Who are we going to leave out? Because you can't have a good club if you're not going to leave someone out. What's the purpose of having a club if you're not going to excommunicate somebody out of it? <laughs> so then we decide. I mean, you don't need a secret password if everyone is in it. You just say, come on. Can I tell you, Jesus did not come to keep people out. He came so that whosoever 
call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The gospel does not say stay away. The gospel says come on in because I gave my life for you too. Through faith in Jesus, anyone can obtain right standing with God. Faith is not a casual belief. It's a life-transforming belief. I'm going to choose to believe not just in Jesus. I'm going to choose to believe the message of Jesus. Number three, Jesus justifies me freely. Here's the third part of the most important paragraph, which means equals my past can be erased. I can have righteousness today, but he also justifies me with six easy payments of 1995. <laughs> no, freely. I don't have to do anything. This, this, this means if I'm justified freely, somebody needs to get this morning, gets this. I am not a sinner that has wandered into a church full of righteous people. I am not a second-class citizen. It says he justifies me. He has transformed me from what I was to what I am. I am not a dirty person that's been put, a, put amongst clean person. God has made me clean. He has transformed me. He didn't just transform where I was. He changed me. It says I am justified. That's a legal term. My Sunday school teacher gave me the best definition of justification. I'm sure you've heard it before. It simply means just as if I never sinned. Justification. Just as if I never sinned. That's a pretty good summation. When God looks at me, because of the grace of Jesus, I stand before him clean because of what he's done in my life. It's just as if I never did those things in my past. To explain it farther, justification is actually, it's a declaration. Like condemnation is a declaration. When someone is found guilty, the next thing that happens is a judge condemns them to their sentence. And so he speaks that out. He says, you are condemned to to 20 years in prison. You are condemned to whatever. And you lose your rights. You lose certain privileges. You you lose your your, your choices. You, You have been condemned. Can I tell you, justification is also a vocal thing. It's the just judge saying, I don't see any sin. It's the just judge saying, you are innocent. Did you know there's, a, there's something better than a prisoner receiving a pardon? A pardon is pretty cool. A pardon lets you get privileges back you once forfeited. But justification, it removes the verdict altogether. Did you know in our justice system, As far as I know, there is no way for a jury to declare someone innocent. Right? What do they declare? Not guilty. But how many understand you can be declared not guilty and still be guilty? Maybe you were guilty and smart. (laughs) Right? You knew how to sin in a way to get away with it. But justification, it removes the verdict of guilty 
altogether, but it takes another step. It's not just declaring that you're not guilty. It's declaring that in the eyes of God, we are innocent. It's just as if we never sinned. As Psalms 103, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far he's removed my trespasses from me. It's Isaiah 43, 25, where he says, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. Listen, if you feel like your present is still being weighed down by the sin of your past, he can justify you today. Here's number four. Jesus pays the debt caused by my sin. God presented him, Jesus, as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. Jesus did not... Sometimes our our language, we kind of gloss over this. So I'm going to take a moment. How many understand that sin creates a debt? Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. You go to McDonald's, you work for an hour, I think they pay you like 12 bucks. If you sin, you earn something. What do you earn? It's not 12 bucks. You earn death. Spiritual death, physical death. That's what the book of of Genesis, it's what... The Lord promised Adam and Eve. It's still true for us. The wages of sin is death. And sometimes we feel like, well, Jesus just forgives my sin. Didn't cost him anything. Didn't cost me anything. And that's where you have to tap the brakes really hard. Because it did cost him something. Right? He paid my sin debt. The damage I did to myself, the damage he did to others. Sometimes we see someone, I know you're too spiritual to think this way, but sometimes I've seen someone who had had done some gross sin, had done damage against God and also against people, and then they give their life to Jesus and their life changes, God restores them. And and sometimes I've been guilty of looking at what God is doing to someone else, and I've, I've been guilty of thinking, man, it's almost like they got away with it. Like they didn't get, like no one got punished for it. Listen, no sin goes unpunished. Jesus took the punishment of us all to the cross. The question is only, are we going to let that forgiveness and credit be applied to our heart and to our life? No one gets away with it. Hebrews 9 says it like this, that Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world, but now he's appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. There's an advertisement. Thomas, I'm going to ask a favor. Would you please reach right above your head and grab that black cup and bring it to me as fast as you can so I can make this illustration. I just got to tell you something wonderful this morning. I'm down to drinking one Diet Coke a day. (laughs) This is my one. Aren't you proud of me? I've got this deal with the gas station across the street. You can have it too. And I'm not a paid, I'm not a paid spokesman, but I'll tell you for $9.99 which if my math is right, about 30 cents a day. I pay the gas station across the street $9.99 a month. I can go in every day. 
and fill up to 62 ounces of soda or coffee. And so I have to go every day. Right? If I don't go every day, I'm leaving money on the table. How many guys in the room would agree with that? Right? I, I, it's costing me 33 cents if I don't go in there and put something in it. Co- coffee, Coke, Slurpee, something's got... It, it's, it, it's, so every day, I go in there and I get my 62 ounces. Almost every day. Some days I'm out of town, I'm on vacation, I'm sick, whatever. But almost every day. And I go in there so often, I find myself, and I have to tell them, hey, I'm on the, the plan, and I punch in my number, because if not, they charge me 99 cents. I do it so often, sometimes I'll walk in there, and I'll put my drink on the counter, I say, this is my free drink for the day. And they know what I'm talking about, they ring it up. I've caught myself saying, I'm here for my free drink. I just told you, it's not free. I prepaid it. But it feels free. It's not free, but it feels free. Sometimes we forget those salvation for us has been prepaid and it's free. It feels free. But it costs Jesus something. Let us not forget that even though it feels free, and it's free to me today, there is a high price paid. Here's the last thing. We need to come. So important paragraph. Because he says in verse 26, the one who justifies those who have faith. Friends, that's not a past tense, that's a present tense, which reminds me that Jesus is still the imparting righteous business today. He's still in the business of giving right standing with God. One person said, God justifies the believer not because of our worthiness of of our belief, but because of the worthiness in the one and who believe in. And that is Jesus. Today, this is really good news. I want to bow your heads. I want to, I want to give you this sermon again in less than eight seconds. Here's the good news. I'm a sinner who needs a Savior. Jesus came to be the Savior that I needed. He justifies my past. He pays my debt. And He continually cleanses me daily. So that I can have right relationship with him continually. That's my message in a sentence. Somebody's thinking, well, Pastor, why didn't you say that in the beginning? Because I wanted to bring us to this point. Every head about every eye closed, say, Pastor, I I need a savior. No one has to tell you that. The Spirit of God has told you that. Maybe you've been aware of that for seconds. Maybe it's been weeks, months, or years. You've been so keenly aware that you need a Savior. But for whatever reason, like Adam and Eve, you've been running and hiding. When the Word says in Corinthians, come on, now's the day of God's favor. Today's the day of salvation. If you need a Savior today, can I tell you, you can have right standing with God in just a matter of seconds this morning if you choose Him.
Say, Pastor, I'm keenly aware I need a Savior, and today, today I'm choosing Him. Just lift a hand real quick. Says to me, Pastor, pray for me. Amen? 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 Jesus came to be the Savior you needed. He didn't come to bring you into His family for you to be a second-class citizen. He didn't come so that you would live the rest of your life in guilt. That's why He paid your debt. He didn't come for you to be continually beat down by your shortcomings. He came instead to be not just your cleanser of your past, but our everyday leader and guider by His Holy Spirit, our everyday cleansing by His Spirit and by His blood. Today, several hands were lifted. You're aware that you need a Savior. I also want to, just before I pray, listen, don't, if you are if you are overwhelmed by guilt of your past, can I tell you, Scripture says that He is, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far He's removed those... Tra- you are clean before God. So stop listening to those voices that say you're not clean. Stop listening to those voices that say you're not forgiven. Stop listening to those voices that says you're, you're lesser than. You're justified. You're forgiven. Your debt has been paid. There is no evidence in the eyes of God. That's why the word says there is therefore now no condemnation for those here in Christ Jesus. So today don't let your life be ridden, guilt ridden. And before I pray, let me, let me also just talk to every believer. While we should never be guilty of our we should never be driven by the guilt of our past. I do believe that what God has done for us should generate some gratitude within us for what He's done for us. So though I refuse and reflect and reject guilt of my past, I am always, always careful to practice gratitude for His work. So allow this message to become the most important message of your life this morning. I want to ask everyone in the room to please say this prayer with me. We're praying with those who lifted their hands that said, I'm coming to Jesus. Some, maybe for the very first time. Others, this is a moment of rededication for them. But let's encourage their faith by praying it out loud with them. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me so much that you gave your life for me. Forgive me, Jesus, of all my sins. Cleanse me of my past. Thank you for paying for the debt that I owe because of my sin. From this moment on, I'm going to follow Jesus. From this day forward, I'm going to follow the way of Jesus. I believe he's the son of God. And starting now, he's my Savior. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. Would you give the Lord a hand clap with those who are praying that prayer for the first time? We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. Hey, if this is your first time to be a Jesus follower and you're wondering what do I do now, first thing I challenge you to do is stop by the Connect desk on your way out. There's a gift I love to give you for free. It's your first 30 days following Jesus, of course. Find a Bible-believing church. We'd love for it to be right here at the assembly. Uh, but find a church. Follow Jesus. God bless you. I love you. May the Lord bless you, keep you, let his face shine upon you, give you peace, joy, and strength both now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Don't forget, men, man up, 6 p.m. If you're a first-time guest, I'll be on the front porch in about 60 seconds. God bless you. I love you. Thanks for being part of the assembly. Hello, this is Greg Sanders, pastor of the assembly here in Cabot. I want to say thanks for listening today. If you are ever in the Cabot area, we'd love to have you join us for a service. For service times, check out our webpage at theassemblycabot.com. Thanks again for listening. We hope you have a great day, and God bless.